Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن ولا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته brothers and sisters uh, you've got me the medical doctor Abdul Wahid and my brother Salman the cell biologist with you for the next hour or so taking your questions on the COVID-19 vaccine you will have uh, had your fill of uh, movies on the TV and uh, recycled news stories about Brexit and COVID. And I know there are loads of questions we've had. I've had so Someone, have you had questions in the last two weeks about the vaccine from people you know? Oh, too many. SubhanAllah. Too, too many, many videos. Too many videos. Okay. <laughs> So uh, we want to crack on. We'll try and keep a fast pace on it so that uh, we get through stuff and try and get as many of your questions. You can like and share this, uh, please. Let other people know if they want to. Um, I've got um, somebody helping putting the questions up for us so that we can see uh, from from my Facebook page uh, and from my, my profile page. Um, a few of you, thank you, already posted a few comments and questions afterwards. So we'll take them first while waiting for others. Salman, a brother, um, I think it's Abu Yusuf or Ahmed Yusuf, has mentioned uh, uh, some stats in the US CDC assessment, the US uh, Center for Disease and Communicable Disease Control, I think it's called. Um, they basically said of the Pfizer vaccine, 3% of people uh, taking the mRNA COVID vaccine were quote unquote disabled, unable to continue work or needing medical help. Uh, that was five days ago. They said that maybe up on that, down from that. Your thoughts very quickly on that? 3% of people disabled. So un too unwell to go to work or they probably had a very severe allergic reaction needing some medical treatment. Um, 3%, what do you think yeah. about that? Yeah. Uh, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum to everybody who's uh, listening. Um, so the, I saw that data on the CDC website and what they basically said was that the, the 3% had uh, moderate reactions to the vaccine of the type that would make them feel unwell in the sense that, you know, if you have a, a flu or a cold, you might feel uh, unable to go to work that day, and you might, you know, feel that you are, um, you know, having aches and pains in your bodies, and generally, you know, a bit tired, 
and um, fatigue. And the 3% um, level is ex exactly what uh, was found in the clinical trials. So if you look at the clini clinical trials uh, data that was published by uh, the company BioNTech uh, and uh, also the data that they submitted to the regulatory authorities in their um, uh, dossier that they submit to the FDA, that level of 3% for would be considered sort of moderate uh, adverse events, as they, as it's uh, to use the, the terminology, yeah. was about the, the level that they were expecting. So there's nothing in that yeah. uh, data to suggest that there's anything there that wasn't expected. I mean, it's quite the only normal. the only thing that's new, I think, isn't it? The only thing that's new, I think, is the 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 anaphylaxis, the cases of anaphylaxis that we've seen uh, in people sure. who have a tendency to some kind of severe allergic reaction. So as a doctor, I've yeah. got a bunch of patients who have such bad allergic reactions, they carry an adrenaline pen around with them. Um, so if you're in that category, then you probably have a slightly higher chance of having uh, an anaphylactic shock. Uh, I'll yeah. just say to the brothers and sisters watching, you know, basically, when you have vaccinations done, whether it's for travel vaccines, whether it's for childhood vaccines, whether it's the yearly flu vaccine. Um, to be very frank with you, every vaccination training course you go on will tell you there is a risk of anaphylaxis. And after the vaccination, it's common for some people to have aching arm, feel feverish, fluey, headachey for a few days, take some paracetamol or something like that will be the advice you get. It's really not headline news to say that 97% of people had no problems at all, and 3% of people had a range of problems varying from a severe allergic reaction, which needs medical treatment, to probably the overwhelming majority of them having kind of what you get after you get a vaccine. So um, yeah. I don't know, there's people spinning that in all kinds of ways, which is really not very, from a medical point of view. Um, yeah. Okay. The, 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 Let's come to the next question, Sunman. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I was just saying that the, 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 the uh, CDC and also the NHS here has, has basically said that if you have, if you have a known uh, uh, allergy to any of the ingredients in the vaccine, then you shouldn't take yeah. it. And I think that's, yeah. that information should have probably gone out earlier, and, you know, to, to be perfectly honest. And... Um, um, but, it, but like it's, you say, it's, it's, it's something I can tell you. It's something that gets asked. It is literally, it is literally something that gets asked. There's a series of checklists of questions before anyone will get a jab, and it's what something that gets asked. I'm not here to defend the vaccine. I'm not here to defend the CDC or the NHS. It's just um, maybe me and Salman. We've seen a lot of the stuff going around. People posting stuff, which might be factually accurate, like this CDC report or. You know that 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 there's questions about what is the causing the allergic reactions, but it it gets presented in a kind of strange way that makes it seem like uh, there's something much bigger than actually there is when you're used yes. to seeing yeah. That's right. things the being people are sensationalizing and they, 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 yeah they're sensationalizing the issue and I think that's that's yeah. that's dangerous to do that because you know you know the, okay. the situation is. The health crisis is severe. So, we got, got a question from Salim Khan. He said, "I hope you get time to examine what is the source 
of a lot of when well, he put the, a lot of the anti-vax stuff. But I, I will I will rephrase it. What what is the source when he says, i.e., what provokes so much suspicion towards government when they push, push vaccines generally, um, and in this scenario even more so? Um, any thoughts? Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts well, on that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have, and I think we all have. I think I'll, I'll just just to summarise it. There's a lack of trust in politicians generally, and we know that because of a number of scandals that have been in the news over the last few years. You know, cash for questions and the like. You know, uh, uh, there's a lack of trust in the motives of pharma company. We all know that the way the pharma industry works in the capitalist uh, economies is that they are essentially profit driven, um, and I guess there's a very a lot of uh, you know collaboration, let's call it, or or cosy relationship between uh, government officials in some of these regulatory authorities and the pharma companies. You know, so we've heard reports yeah. in the news that ex FDA officials yeah. are you know on the boards of these big pharma companies that are currently developing these vaccines, and the same FDA officials were were, were used as consultants in the Operation Warp Speed. Uh, uh, consortium that was set up by the Trump administration to expedite vaccine development. So you've got this kind of cozy relationship, which is obviously, you know, where there's conflicts of interests occurring. And um, it's obviously erodes public confidence. And on top of that, we've had also here. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I just, just, I think that needs to be heard loud and clear, brothers and sisters watching, yeah. right? We, I, I understand, Salman understands, all of you watching, I think, understand that it's hard to trust politicians anyway. It's even harder when you see the way they've handled this particular crisis. Um, it's even harder when you see that how much Big Pharma is hand in glove with politicians and dictating health agendas around the world uh, and are, are really obviously trying to make profits for their shareholders in all of this as well. Uh, and that that does erode trust. In fact, I was reading, I was reading something today about, ah, oh, my thing is messing up again. Um, I was reading something today about how in Pakistan, um, polio, they failed to eradicate polio, unlike many other countries in the world, because the vaccination programs in Pakistan are seen as being part of the same kind of international interventions by people there. Um, which they don't trust, so they stay away from. And as a result, there are many countries in the world which have managed to eradicate polio effectively, but Pakistan and Afghanistan are two places that haven't. So it has a massive implication on lives. Uh, and that is a real problem because um, Very I think much we end so. up in a scenario where everyone is either polarised and like if it's coming from the government, if it's coming from capitalist and corporate companies, some people think it must be bad. It can't be trusted. And then you've got another extreme that is so trusting in politicians that they're literally like saying it's wajib on everyone to have the vaccine and wajib on everyone to get locked down in your own home and in your own bedroom and mosques should be closed and that kind of attitude. And, and I've mm. seen a lot of that polarized attitude over the last year. And partly why we're doing this program is to try and cut through some of that stuff. Um, so cutting to some of that stuff, <laughs> Basharat, brother Basharat has uh, basically listed a lot of the concerns. Do we agree with people who are hostile to the vaccine that it contains, oh my God, we've got so many questions, it contains 
Okay, does it contain, as far as you know, pig DNA, Salman? No. No, I haven't seen it. Both of us have looked through the data sheet and we can't actually, neither of us could see any substantial animal product in there. I saw one reference to bovine, which means cow, milk protein, okay? So something which is animal related comes from cow's milk. Um, and actually, it, it says on the Pfizer vaccine, certainly, uh, I'm talking about it, which is the only one licensed in the UK at the moment. It actually says on that one, most of the, the, the stuff comes from either laboratory, synthetic laboratory sources or from vegetable sources. Uh, but no, no reference to pig, monkey, uh, what else does he put? Um, uh, pig, monkey, um, then there's uh, formaldehyde and barium. Uh, honestly speaking, I don't know. Have you heard of those two in the vaccine? I haven't heard of them, to be honest no, with you, in not, the vaccine. They're not, um, no, they're not in the vaccine. And no. um, okay. formaldehyde and barium may have been in, in, in vaccines previously, you know, in, his, in historical okay. vaccines, but it's certainly not this, these ones. Yeah. That it can cause infertility. I mean, brothers and sisters, one thing we will say about the vaccine is, although the... Short-term side effects are uh, at 3%, okay? Nobody knows the long-term side effects. So if somebody's telling you it causes infertility, uh, they're basically trying to get your anxiety levels up because it may do, but we won't know for a very long time if it does or it doesn't. So why, why even uh, entertain that question, to be honest with you? That it's cultured in aborted fetal cells. All right, Salman, what, what have you heard about that? Well, not this vaccine, not the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, okay. vaccine or the Moderna vaccine, uh, but the AstraZeneca-Oxford okay. vaccine is developed in uh, a cell line which was derived back in the 1970s from an aborted fetus. It's known as uh, human okay. embryonic kidney cells. Okay, all right. Now, there is uh, two uh, elements of... Um, two or three points of fiqh that could be discussed around this, uh, brothers and sisters. One is, um, in medical treatment generally, um, uh, many things which are in origin haram for us to use can sometimes be uh, legitimately used in the form of medication. And that there's, there's, there's evidence for this, which is that these Sharia opinions are often derived from, for example, uh, hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, mentioned in Bukhari and Muslim from Anas ibn al-Malik radiallahu an, who said Rasulullah ﷺ granted a concession to Az-Zubair ibn al-Awam and Abdurrahman bin Auf to wear silk uh, when they were suffering from a rash. Uh, silk, as we know, is haram for men to wear in general, but there was an exemption given in terms of medical treatment. So this is one point. Um, and, and another point is that uh, uh, what uh, may have been clearly haram in terms of, uh, may have been like an, uh, if there was a, a, an uh, a aborted fetus, um, uh, which, by the way, doesn't... When they say aborted fetus in medical terminology, it can mean a miscarriage or it can mean a, uh, an abortion as in a, a termination of pregnancy. It could mean either of those two. Um, that action, which could have been haram, 
doesn't necessarily doesn't necessarily make uh, something that came from that years later uh, haram for somebody to use. That's 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 something that's understood in a fiqih terms as well. Um, I mean. Uh, but the two mRNA vaccines that we know of don't contain those, as far as we know. Uh, actually, it's very well, clear in the Pfizer data sheet that it, it doesn't contain that. Yeah. No, the, the mRNA vaccines are, are definitely made synthetically. Now, the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine um, doesn't contain those cells. The, the cells are just made to manufacture the vaccine, but then they get removed from, you know, and so there's no, none of those cells actually in the vaccine itself. They're just used as a sort of a manufacturing platform. Okay. Uh, okay, let's, uh, there's a question here. Um, uh, can you, um, can you, uh, from Ahmed Makda, um, uh, Abu Isa comments on a recent podcast on Islam 21C on the Khilafah forcing the vaccine to society. Okay, very quickly, uh, Salman, uh, vaccines are a form of treatment. Uh, very briefly tell our viewers, what's the hukum shari on people, individuals seeking treatment? Well, Allah's Messenger وسلم, said in, in the hadith, I think you already mentioned it, that uh, uh, reported by Anas, uh, and this is in uh, in the Musnad Ahmad. He said um, that Allah has created the disease and the cure, so seek the cure. So we are encouraged, and it is considered from a Sharia perspective, uh, mandub, uh, recommended, that we seek medical treatment when we have an illness. Uh, so the Khilafah, as a as a state, uh, which is charged with looking after the affairs of the Muslims. Um, they will look to ensure that we have a healthcare system that provides the best possible care for everybody in the in in, in the society, and, and that would mean that we would have a you know public health policy that would use all measures that can protect the population from disease. That doesn't mean that doesn't mean that we will force people to take uh, medication or in this case vaccination. Uh, rather. It is going to be a decision that would have to be made by the Khalif um, with regards to the, the, the safety of the vaccine against the uh, uh, benefit that it gives in protecting the public. And, 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 in, and in, in a situation where we have a pandemic, uh, he will have to measure uh, the risk associated with giving that vaccine. Now, what I would mention is that in the Khilafah, we will be very rigorous in the way we test these vaccines and very rigorous in the way we make them. Obviously, we're not driven by profit motives. We're driven to make medicines in, in, uh, uh, with, with, with the intention of seeking Allah's uh, reward and pleasure for saving human life and for looking after the affairs of people. And so that is the motivation behind it. And of course, we will uh, 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 develop the, the best possible and the most sophisticated mes medicines that we can in order to, to protect the So the vaccine, brothers and sisters, just to, just to be clear, that the hukum shari on seeking treatment, as we understand it, is for the individuals, it's mandub. It's not compulsory, it's rewardable because of this hadith and other evidences from Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as narrated by 
uh, our brother uh, Salman from Anas uh, an, that you know for every disease there's a cure so seek the cure but also there are other evidences that indicate to us that seeking treatment is not compulsory so uh, narrated uh, from Ata ibn Abi Rabah uh, ibn Abbas said to, said to him uh, sh- shall I show you a woman of the people of Jannah he said yes he said this lady came to the Prophet وسلم, and she said to him, وسلم, I get attacks of epilepsy and my body becomes uncovered. So please invoke Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for me that he cures me. Rasulullah said, said to her, if you wish, be patient. I be patient with the disease and you will enter Jannah. And if you wish, I will make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to cure you. And she said, I will remain patient. I.e. she wanted Jannah. But then she added, but I become uncovered. So ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that she doesn't become uncovered if she has an epileptic seizure. So Rasulullah made dua for her. So from an individual perspective, we can uh, either seek the treatment and get reward or abstain from treatment and get reward. From the state perspective, it's compulsory for the state to look after the affairs of people in the Khilafah and to offer these treatments for people. I hope, inshallah, there is more of a trust between the people and the state in the Khilafah than there appears to be in the world between people and their governments today. Uh, And where Abu Isa may be, uh, maybe, um, how can I put this... um, have put a disproportionate focus on this issue, is any government in the world, whether it be Khilafah or a secular government, would have a duty in a situation where there was a dire medical emergency and a necessary treatment which was proven to work and was safe to use, they could have the power to make that compulsory. That doesn't mean to say they would. And in particular, as Salman says, in this particular case, this vaccine is really not, um, really its long-term effects are not known yet. So as you can see, that as far as I know, there's no government around the world that would make this compulsory at the moment. So how you would suddenly talk about uh, people like making this compulsory in Khilafah on the basis of what we know today, I think is a very skeptical, uh, sorry, speculative thing. Uh, Abu Musab says, do we think vaccinating the majority of the population is an overkill and maybe to do with capital gains? Okay, I mean, um, have we got any similar questions to this? Um, uh, So I would say... um, Nothing very similar. Okay, can we just on this question? Uh, is it overkill? Uh, can I? I mean, I take a question I've been asked: Who should have the vaccine? All right, who who should have the vaccine? Basically, um, uh, you know, There's should everyone have consider. it? Should a few people have it? No one have it? There's two things to consider, Abdul Wahid. Um, the aim is: yeah. What are you aiming to achieve with the vaccine? Now, the vaccine, the, 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 the real aim of the vaccine is to try and achieve what's known as herd immunity. And okay. herd immunity is the only way to bring the R number 
or the, 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 or the transmissibility or the spread of that virus down to a level where it, it, it no longer spreads within the community. And so if you can bring the level of transmission down so low that it no longer spreads within the community, i.e. bring the R number well below one, then the likelihood of it affecting the elderly and the vulnerable population is going to be negligible. And that's the safest way to protect. What percentage of the population do you have to vaccinate to get to that level, approximately? Probably, probably about seventy to eighty percent. Okay, all right. So, one issue, brothers and sisters, is if you want to try and just reduce the level of the virus spreading in the society, i.e., to cut down the pandemic, to break the pandemic you'd have to achieve a 70 to 80% vaccination of population. Uh, okay, Salman, I'd say yeah. this to you, right? Um, nobody knows whether these vaccines, that there's, there's, there's evidence that they're quite effective at preventing people from getting sick from coronavirus, but nobody's got very good evidence that it prevents transmiss- transmission of the virus at the moment. So yeah, absolutely uh, right. So the, the, the clinical trials were not designed to look at transmissibility. They were looking. They were looking to measure protection from developing the COVID nineteen disease. So you're right. There isn't much information. There was some information from the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca trial that indicated uh, that there may be up to fifty nine percent protection against transmission. So they did design their trial slightly differently. But the, 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 the rationale is that if the vaccines are, are effective, as we anticipate them to be based upon the clinical trial results, that they should eventually reduce the amount of virus that's in the body. Um, the immune system should basically reduce the number of virus by stopping it from replicating, bringing the, the, the viral load down, and that would effectively be anticipated to reduce transmission. So although it hasn't been proven, it is something that you know we would expect to see, and um, okay. obviously time so will tell. Can I take and, the issue from, can, can I take the issue from so another the, side? Right. So you've addressed the yeah. herd immunity side. So the other side of it, brothers and sisters, is who, like, if the brothers ask the question, is it overkill to uh, to pop, to try and vaccinate the whole population or most of the population? Or is that just to do with capital? It's not really to do with capital. It's really, honestly speaking, if we were in Khilafah and we were trying to deal with a, uh, uh, an infectious disease pro- uh, problem which required vaccination, likes of smallpox or polio or tetanus or typhoid or diphtheria, you'd be looking for a population like kind of 70% of the population to be vaccinated to achieve your end. Smallpox was eradicated because of such a large number of people being immunized against it. Um, the other side of it is, okay, what if you just targeted the vulnerable? Okay, so uh, I, I would say when people have asked me this in my personal dealings, both at work and in family, uh, for me, all, all vaccinations and immunizations are a balance and, and treatments, medical treatments, they're a balance between risk and benefit. Okay, so um, there's no medical treatment that comes without risk. There's no technology really that comes without risk. When you go into your car to drive, when you get on a plane to fly, there's a risk attached. Okay, somehow we assume that somebody has given license to these vehicles and these aircrafts 
based on some rigorous testing. I don't know that. I've never examined it myself very closely. Somehow we, we assume that there's some regulation that oversees these things, okay, for the safety. It's, it's effectively the same with medications and stuff. Now, whether we should or shouldn't trust it is, is a different question. But the fact is most people do because most people get on a plane and fly or get in a car and drive and take medicine when they need to. Um, but it's a balance between risk and benefit. So uh, it, what, what's very clear to me is that the risk of COVID-19 to the elderly, diabetics, the overweight, the people who are highly exposed to this virus, so that could be doctors, nurses, care workers, bus drivers, people who are in contact with a lot of people where we've seen a high death count uh, up till now. For those people, the risk, from what we can know of the vaccine at the moment, the short-term data into the tens of thousands, it, what we can know it really looks like the risk of the disease is much worse than the risk of the vaccine. And I would really encourage people to have that. Uh, uh, for the rest of the population, it's much more about Salman's argument about herd immunity. And there it's down to any government to try and convince people of the benefits of these things and try and improve uptake as much as possible. And uh, there is a serious problem with the, the, the lack of trust in politics and in the capitalist system in the world today which is potentially, you know, if this is a good, if these are good vaccines, that will potentially cost lives because, you know, really, to be honest with you, if people don't trust those in authority, obviously they don't want to take a risk with these, with these things. Um, Salman, technical, technical question here. Mona Nazal, Salam Alaikum, Sister Mona, has the mechanism of the vaccine been used before on humans, meaning using mRNA as a vaccine? Simple answer. Right, so simple answer, no. no. Not even this is, as this a... Is, no. This is a technology that has been in development uh, for a while, for various reasons, for treating infections, for treating cancer, but it's never, ever got this far. So the argument is that the brother and sister of um, Turkish origin who live in journey, Germany, who devised uh, the BioNTech vaccine, uh, really pioneered something here um, uh, in, in what they managed to achieve in a very small space of time. Um, so it is new technology. So that may inspire some people, that may worry some people. Okay. The question Shaheen Ibn Bari, salam alaikum. The question that's on everyone's lips, is it safe and is it halal? Should be, we, we be wary of such a vaccine? Well, can we take that in reverse order? Should we be wary of such a vaccine? Yes, we should be wary of all new technology and all new medicines that have been Good. developed yeah. very rapidly. And the reality is, is that, I, I, you know, not... go ahead. Yep, Sorry, should be I mean, you, you should be careful. careful. Yeah, I, I, look, yeah. This, this vaccine has been developed in, in 10 months, and it normally takes years, sometimes up to 10 years, to develop a, a vaccine in, under normal circumstances. Then there's various reasons why this has happened so quickly. One, one is that the companies were given lots of public funds 
to get them to 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 de-risk the the program and make it something that they would felt confident about doing. There was lots of collaboration, um, and there was you know and des, des, design of the of of the development of the vaccine and its testing was was uh, done in such a way that things could be done more rapidly without cutting corners. I have to say they they haven't really cut corners, but when you do something as quickly as this, there you know there is always the risk that you haven't tested it as much as you would like. And the reason for that is because, you know, we're in a, in a, in a public health crisis at the moment. And, the, and to get something that could be potentially uh, useful to prevent, you know, the, the impact of COVID-19 was, was, was paramount. And so, yeah. yes, we, we have to be wary of the fact that this is a new technology. It hasn't been tested yeah. in, in as rigorous, rigorously as we would have hoped to have done so. And uh, we should, and it has to be monitored. And so, so to the second question that Brother Shaheen has mentioned, which is, is this, um, is this safe? The answer to that is, we only have short-term data at the moment, Brother Shaheen. So at the moment, based on the short-term data of the trials for each of the vaccines is about 30,000 people each. Um, and since they've been launched and approved, you know, you've now gone into the hundreds of thousands. Um, it's probably about as safe as other vaccines and other medicines are. But bear in mind, we only have short-term data. We don't know what the medium or long-term effects of this vaccine are. To some extent, I'd say to you, just as a practicing doctor, there's a lot of medicines that come on the market that basically we don't know that about. And there's a general principle that once you launch something out for general use in the public, there is a very thorough and rigorous scrutiny that any possible side effect even is reported. And that data is constantly fed into a loop whereby uh, doctors, uh, nurses, you get regular updates to tell you how the picture and pattern is changing. Um, and in rare cases of medicines where the pattern appears to be very dramatic, you can even get a change in the licensing regulations of that drug, even getting it withdrawn sometimes. So um, uh, uh, at, at the moment, it appears from what we can see to be uh, as safe as anything else that when it's first uh, released, uh, but without that kind of longer term data. And as to the question of whether it is halal, I will refer you back to our original treatment. Treatments generally, brothers and sisters, and that includes vaccines, are mandub in the sense that if you're seeking a treatment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then, uh, and you take it with that intention, you get rewarded. Uh, and if you decline it with the intention that you want to remain patient with the illness, you get rewarded. Uh, so it's not mandatory from a Sharia perspective for an individual to take a treatment. It's rewardable from a Sharia perspective. And similarly, but it's not mandatory from that perspective. Um, in, in the question of whether it's halal in terms of its components, um, I've looked at the data on the Pfizer one. Salman's looked at the data on the Pfizer and Moderna. And, Astra, uh, and Moderna, have you looked at the Moderna one as well? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, these are the two um, that have had licenses so far in UK and US, I think. Um, and I mean, I've I've seen nothing in the Pfizer one that makes me think it's not halal. And actually, there have been various other 
boards of Islamic scholars that have looked at it and they have not seen anything in it that is haram. And I also refer you to an answer I gave earlier. Sometimes if medical treatments contain something which is maybe in origin haram, it might be permissible in the context of treatment because of the example of the Messenger وسلم, who gave ruksa for certain things to be used. I mentioned the example of silk. There is another narration from uh, one of the Sahaba, Arfaja, who mentioned that in the days of Jahiliyyah, his nose was injured in a battle and he had a silver uh, attachment made for his nose, which started to develop a stench. Uh, And Rasulullah told him to use a gold one, even though wearing gold for a man is prohibited. So uh, this gives... uh, 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 Yet another example of how sometimes uh, a a, a treatment that has something which you and I may not be allowed to consume from a Sharia perspective in any normal circumstances can be allowed in the context of treatment. But that being said, neither of us have seen anything in the ingredients of these ones which is is, uh, prohibited. Man, we've got so many things here. Oh, my God. Shaheen Hassanat, given the sordid history of big pharma, conflicts of interest, surely healthy scepticism is something we'd encourage. Healthy scepticism is something we'd encourage, wouldn't we, Salman? Yes? Yes, as long as it's healthy. Okay, so how do you balance that against the unhealthy? All right. Who am I to say that like nanochips might be not being delivered into my body when I have the vaccine? Okay. How, what, it's a legitimate question. Some, and people don't, people are rightly skeptical of government. So how do they reassure themselves that the, all these like stories of fetal cells and all this stuff and nanochips and stuff? Wh- how do you balance healthy skepticism against, uh, conspiratorial bunkum? Yeah. Well, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us that when we receive information that we should verify it. And so it's important to get your information from the right sources, people who are informed, and also to confirm what you, what you hear, and not just to believe everything you, you read on a WhatsApp message, because there's a lot of things going around on WhatsApp that, quite frankly, are, you know, lies and, and border on, on the ridiculous. But, you know, people seem to be um, sometimes affected by it, because people, the way in which these, these, these messages come, they, they sort of mix some facts in with a lot of lies and sometimes they uh, or, or in some cases they take facts and then they sensationalize it as they did with the CDC data that you talked about earlier and uh, so people get ang- anxious about it and I think w- what has to happen is that you need to confirm and verify things from from the experts that you trust and in alhamdulillah in the Muslim community we have a lot of experts that are trustworthy uh, who are knowledgeable and will you know, study things deeply and, and you can refer to those people. Yeah, and I, I would say, brothers, it's right to be critical of governments and pharma. Really it is. I've seen, I've seen examples of where things have uh, really been questionable in terms of government health policy. Um, but um, I would also be mindful of some of the people that are out there telling you that everything is bad, Yeah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as reported by Abdullah bin Amr, 
radiallahu an, he said uh, in the meaning, whoever practices medicine, man tatabba, lam ya'lam, lam, lam yu'lam minhu tibbun qabla dhalika, fahuwa dhamin. He said, whoever practices medicine without any prior knowledge of medicine will be held liable, okay? And, you know, this is not about being held liable by a lawyer in a court here. This is about liability on the Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So a lot of the people that are putting out things in a very distorted way that are scaring you off, you need to be skeptical of them uh, as well. And, you know, really, to be honest with you, you know, I like a sister Jahanara Munaf has asked, how much training have you had in vaccine, vaccine contents, etc.? I mean, I've been a, I've been a doctor for uh, nearly 30 years uh, and a medical student for five, 29 years and a medical student for five years before that. Uh, Salman, you've been a cell biologist for? Yeah, ooh, 25 years, 30 years as well. Yeah. 25 years. So, so between us, you got like 54 years of broad general experience, which would include stuff related to vaccines and vaccinations and stuff. Uh, obviously, a new vaccine is new, and we've both had just weeks to study this. And when you go for a vaccine, uh, the people, even the technician that is injecting you, who may not be a doctor or a nurse, will have had like a couple, you know, some training for a minimum, minimum of two days about going through rigorously like the checklist of what you need to check with someone. And every vaccine center will have people there who are there to deal with emergencies at the same time. So that, no, that, it's, and, the, and yet you have people commenting on this who clearly are talking nonsense. I mean, I have to say, one of the things that motivated me to do this video is I've been sent some videos with brothers with very long beard, frankly, talking nonsense or, or, or I think spinning things in a very exaggerated, nonsensical way, which is clearly trying to achieve um, just agitation. I can't see any real reason for that. Um, uh, somebody has asked, uh, how can one take a vaccine which has not been tested properly? Usually takes a few years. Very quickly to reiterate what Sanman said, yes, usually takes a few years. Part of the reason for that, number one, is... A lot of the red tape that normally goes through development process has been cut with this. Uh, partly, uh, this has come to the public sooner than normal because of the pandemic. And that would be considered legitimate in this sort of situation. And actually, you know, partly we should be asking ourselves, why isn't there a cure for malaria? Why isn't there like effective vaccinations for diseases that don't affect the first world, that the developed world and affect the developing world? Yeah. I mean, let's face it. In the end, what this proves is where there's a will, uh, the technology can end up being found much quicker than when there's no interest in millions and millions of people around the world who, who have. Uh, so we should be asking that question as well. Why is that? Uh, why does that happen more often? Um, we, should, we, we should also be asking. We should also be asking why hasn't the Muslim world developed a vaccine? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mazhar Khan, is it mandatory to take the vaccine or voluntary? From a political level, in all the states in the world, Mazhar, it's voluntary. From a Sharia level, it's voluntary um, as well. 
Um, is it true that vaccines are produced using aborted fetuses from Asim Hap? Uh, so just first thing, the two mRNA vaccines by Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna do not create, are not using fetal material. They're synthetic material from the labs. Salman, in the general context of vaccines, do you want to explain that again, that what it, what it means when they, they use that in general vaccine technology? So some vaccines actually develop uh, viral particles. Um, so that the, the Oxford uh, AstraZeneca vaccine is, is one such vaccine. And to produce those viral particles, you can't grow them synthetically. You have to uh, grow them in a cell. And the cell that they use to do that uh, happens to be a cell that was developed, a cell line that was developed back in the 1970s from uh, an aborted fetus. And so that cell has been used widely in biomedical research for the last 30 years. It was found to be very so just to, easy just to, to, you know. Just to, sorry, just to explain that in a lay terms, sometime in the 1970s, some scientists took a cell from an aborted fetus, right? And then more cells were grown from that cell, right? Yeah. So it's not the original cell. It's more cells were grown from that cell. And those yeah. cells are now used as almost like a, as a vessel uh, for, uh, uh, for developing vaccine and RNA and genetic technology. Is that, is that a simple way to put it? Yeah, it's like a factory that produces the, the vaccine, factory. the viral particles, like a yeah. factory, like a, like a platform, manufacturing yeah. platform. Okay. And so what happens is that these cells, they will produce the, the viral particles, which, which are the main ingredient of the vaccine. And then the, then, they'll, then, the vac then the viral particles will be separated from themselves using a separation procedure. Um, so there's no cells like that in the actual vaccine. It's just the, the viral particles that are produced in the cells. Just imagine, look, you can see behind you this cartoon of the okay. uh, uh, coronavirus yeah. floating around. That coronavirus can't make itself. It has to get in, inside a cell in your body to then yeah. reproduce itself. And so in the same way, when, when they do this in the lab, they have to put the, a viral virus into a cell and let it grow within the cell. And then the cell then basically dies and releases the virus into the, into the culture medium. And then that culture medium is taken, cleared, and, and just the viral particles itself is used in the vaccine. The All the cells are taken away. Yeah. Taken so away. It's, okay. So you're not getting you're not getting in any event you're not getting those aborted cells or the or the uh, the descendants of those uh, that uh, that aborted cell into your blood anyway. Okay. Um, uh, We've got a question here from uh, Abdus Salam, Sayyid Ahmed. Salam alaikum. I had COVID-19 and tested positive. Do I still need to take the vaccine? Uh, Abdus Salam, when you've had COVID-19, nobody is sure how much immunity you have afterwards. There have been cases where people have had it more than once. Nobody's really sure of what level of immunity somebody's had when they've tested positive. So the vaccine will still be offered to everybody uh, on the assumption that you don't have immunity and uh, probably from a science basis that's the right assumption at the moment because we just don't know whether anyone has immunity 
after they've had it or what level of immunity. Even, by the way, if you've had a sample that tests positive for antibodies, it doesn't necessarily mean you're wholly immune from uh, the virus again. Um, do we know if those who survive, similar question from Abu Yusuf and Hanbali, Islam alaikum, uh, do we know if those who survived are now immune? Uh, we don't know, actually. Honestly speaking, we don't know. Uh, at my workplace, uh, everyone got tested for antibodies. There were people who clearly had a very bad uh, COVID illness who tested positive. There were clearly, there were people who had no kind of COVID illness who tested positive for antibodies. There were people who thought they had COVID that tested negative and they may have responded through their T cells. Um, so the, 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 the power, co correlation between antibodies and immunity is, and whether you've had it before is just not clear at the moment. Um, I like this question from uh, Hussein Hussein. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. That's as simple as I've got today so far from Hussein. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, there's questions here from Um Amina, which is uh, not really sure. There's some concerns that autoantibodies may be driving severe COVID cases. Is there any evidence from the vaccine trials in this area? I'm going to pass that one aside, sister, because it's more about the disease than the the vaccine. How do we respond to people who believe in conspiracy theories concerning the new vaccine? Implanting chips and things like that seems to be quite popular. I agree with you. It's he said it seems to be quite popular in Europe. Um, I agree with you. It's Europe and America. I mean, you you you. I think if you go to like countries where people really have health needs, you won't hear people debating about this sort of thing um, so much. Um, uh, but how do you respond to people? I, I think you know. I think it's good to scrutinize and question. And just think to yourself, does that really make sense or not? And then ask, ask people, ask and question uh, whether or not that's rightly likely to be true. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a, I, you can't factor for people adopting and every wacky idea out there. Um, uh, this is a very good question from Um Khadija. Is COVID a disease that justifies? the closing of Hajj to the world. Uh, maybe I can paraphrase that to stick to our vaccine uh, technology, uh, our vaccine issue. Is COVID a disease that warrants that everybody should be offered a vaccine, forced to take a vaccine? Those two things, Salman. Offered the vaccine? Is COVID a disease that is bad enough to offer everyone in the country a vaccine? I think definitely to offer, without a doubt, Offer, in terms yeah, of whether, yeah. yes, in terms of whether you should yeah. be forced to take it, uh, personally, I think until you're absolutely certain uh, with a very high level of confidence that the vaccine is very, very safe, um, I don't think yeah. it should be forced. But, you know, it, yeah. you know, it, it depends yeah. how serious the, 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 the disease is. It could get to such a serious state. It could get to such a serious state where yeah. it, it, it would be you know, the benefit of, of, of making it yeah. a mandatory to have the vaccine could outweigh the risks yeah. and it could possibly get to that stage. So, I think to Sister Um Khadija's question, I would, uh, I would answer about, specifically about Hajj. I would say, Sister, you know, um, every year 
the regime out there puts controls on how many people go, how many people in one place or another. Um, it's it's only down to their very shallow, low level that they just and very default level of everything's shut down, everything's banned, that they end up putting it in a situation like this. We never have a hajj that's open to everybody who wants to go. There's always some way of limiting it. You could have a hajj that uh, allows a small number of people to safely uh, uh, perform hajj uh, and not not just ban the hajj, basically. I think that's that's a different story. Um, we've been through that. Actually, there's lots of stuff on, if you go to Taji Mustafa's Facebook page and uh, YouTube channel, Salaam Alaikum Taji, uh, Taji did a whole series of stuff in uh, um, in earlier in the year on COVID. He might have covered some of these things in that. Uh, why are so many, Mirwaid, Parsoon, why are there so many allergic reactions to the vaccine while it is considered safe? So, I mean, there are some allergic reactions to the vaccine, as we mentioned. Um, and people have been advised that if you do have a history of allergy, uh, particularly to the ingredients of the vac- vaccine, then you, you shouldn't take it. Um, but as, as you mentioned, Abdul Wahid, um, vaccines in general uh, raise immunity in the body. And that's the nature of what a vaccine does. And whenever you do that with any type of vaccine, you're risking you know, potential for um, allergic responses and hyperimmunity. And obviously this has to be monitored. Brother, and usually it can be managed very safely. Yeah, Brother, Brother Mirad, I'll tell you, any vaccine that happens, whether it's travel vaccine, whether it's flu vaccine, whether it's children's vaccines, one of the things that will happen in the place where it is vaccine, the vaccine is happening, there always has to be like an antidote for allergy, like an injection that we give people as an antidote to allergy. Because we know when you give anyone an injection, not just a vaccine, you could give them, you could give a vitamin injection, you could give a painkilling injection, you could give an antibiotic injection, and out of the blue, you get a freak allergic reaction, which needs treatment. So you shouldn't be giving injections without the antidote being there. And that's just a standard practice. Um, and I think the right wording for this um, is to say, um, why is it considered safe? No, it's considered safe enough. Uh, it r- links to slightly to Brother Farid Mir's questions. Assalamu alaikum, Farid. Love you for the sake of Allah. Nice to see your name here. Has there ever been a 100% foolproof medicine, vaccine? Isn't there always an element of risk? Yes. Yes. Even when you take a paracetamol, there's an element of risk. Yeah, Not much, but that's there. And with some medicines more than others. And it's all about the balance of risk versus benefit. Anyone who's been unfortunate enough to see anyone suffering with a serious disease like cancer will know that uh, there is a, a risk that those medicines to treat cancer can even kill the patient. They're so strong and toxic as, uh, as, as chemicals. Um, but people take that risk because the consequence of not taking the medicine can sometimes end up with the disease overwhelming them. So uh, every disease is like that. It's, we should be talking in terms of it's been considered safe enough to move forward with offering the people, not that it is safe, full stop. Taji, Salaamu Alaikum. 
listening to this discussion shows the Muslim needs to look into issues themselves and question before accepting or rejecting things which are flying around WhatsApp. Yeah, I think we need to do that. And whether it's coming from WhatsApp or whether it's coming from number 10, we need to kind of, as Brother Salman said, we need to be verifying things. Yusuf, Ibrahim Haj Yusuf. Assalamu alaikum. Ah, okay, this is not one I want to answer. If you had to choose between the vaccines, which one, in your opinion, would be less worse? <laughs> uh, am I right in thinking that there's only one licensed in the UK at the moment? Yes, I think the AstraZeneca yes. one is coming. There's no choice then, week. Yusuf. There's no choice yeah. then. There's only one on offer. So you can't really, you can't really, you don't have a choice at the moment. Um, uh, personally, if I would say if somebody is vulnerable, uh, they should take whichever one is, is uh, available to them. I don't think you'll be end up with a choice where you can pick off a shelf which one you, you want to have. Um, will you interview a medical professional with an alternative viewpoint for the sake of, uh, of scientific objectivity from Hasnat Asad. Assalamu alaikum, Brother Hasnat. Um, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not here. You, you're very welcome to go and find someone else with an, a different view. Um, I, I'm really trying to be very measured in my view. I don't, I don't rush into, generally with medicines, I don't rush into endorsing them very strongly. And I'm not really um, endorsing this to say, yeah, everyone go out and take this. I don't, I don't think like that, really. We try to separate out two, three things. Um, the vulnerable from the herd immunity. The vulnerable, I think, uh, as I see at the moment, the, the, the benefit of the vaccine outweighs the risk. You know, you could ask me this question in a year's time, and if the information has changed, people may review their, their opinion on this. But you can only go on what is there at the moment. At the moment, the disease for the vulnerable is really quite significant. And uh, the vaccine, as vaccines go, treatments go at this stage of development, doesn't, on the short term, doesn't seem to have uh, more any more greater risk than average treatments do. Uh, long term, we don't know. Um, the herd immunity side, actually, we believe that COVID is a bad enough disease that people should be offered a vaccine if there is one. Uh, and really, it is down to the authorities to try and convince people to, uh, to take this if they believe that that is uh, something that is necessary. And I personally, I think in the end, they won't make it mandatory. I can tell you that they won't make it mandatory, but there will be measures brought into place, which kind of almost encourage people very strongly to have it. For example, I suspect traveling in the future may be contingent on showing that you've had some kind of vaccine. So unless somebody is saying they don't want to fly in the future, you might find that, uh, you know, that it's, it's like, or, or going for hydroomera, like the sister was asking, you, you may well find, like, we have to take a meningitis vaccine these days. And by the way, I haven't heard anyone asking about whether or not that's derived from a aborted fetal cell line or, 
or what the ingredients of that is, people just take it, don't they, just to get their visa and go. Um, uh, so you could ask, we, we could be asking more questions about these things. If, Brother Hasnat, go out, ask other people who are qualified uh, and uh, v- v- uh, very good. I'm not a journalist, so I'm not really um, going to start spending time on alternative viewpoints. Um, uh, vaccine efficacy. Um, uh, Sister Layla, Assalamu alaikum, Sister Layla. Um, Salam. Can you shed some light? Oh, every time somebody puts a new question, I lose that. Can you shed some light on what is meant by the vaccine's efficacy? I have read that vaccines are only effective against symptomatic COVID. However, a large proportion of of transmission is through asymptomatic transmission. If this is the case, then how will it be helpful in stopping the spread of the virus? Or is the aim of the vaccine not to stop the spread, but to limit the severity of symptoms? So let's break that down. When they talk about efficacy of the vaccine, they say that the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine is 95% effective. Uh, What are they saying? What does that mean in simple terms, Salman? What it means is that it's 95% effective at stopping somebody from getting the COVID-19 disease and symptoms. Um, so it, it doesn't mean that it's 95% effective at stopping the virus from being transmitted from one person to another. So that's the, so the, okay. that's the key point. We don't know whether the vaccine at the moment will stop transmission from one person to another. So if you take a group of people who get the vaccine and a group of people who get the dummy, Okay, and in the end, you look to see how many of the dummy group got symptomatic COVID and how many of the vaccine groups got symptomatic COVID. It's literally the vaccine seems 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 to reduce it by 95 percent, basically. Right. Yeah. Basically, if 100 people got it in the dummy group, only five would get it in the vaccine Only group. five would get it in the other group. Yeah, okay. That's good. Um, and so, so the aim, sister, is, is actually to protect the person who's had the vaccine from getting the disease. That's the first aim. The second aim is if you vaccinate about 70% of the population, the virus basically dies out Um to, to any like great extent, it's like it's not maybe not die out completely, but it, like in a pandemic level, it dies out. So, um, it, but nobody knows whether the vaccine stops the virus being passed on from person to person. Uh, um, it's one okay, point so I make on, um, on, 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 yes, one, one point uh, on, on the efficacy. So that what the trial also showed was that um, the vaccine was ninety percent effective at stopping uh, people getting the severe form of the disease. So that was another bit of data that was in, 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 in the trial as well. Yeah, okay. Jazakallah khair. Uh, Samir al-Hanafi, as far as I'm concerned, the SARS pandemic of 2002 is highly connected to the current one from a virological perspective. Can this be, uh, can this be, sorry, every time somebody posts a new question, 
the old question disappears. So I have to scroll back up a bit. Yes. Can this be, and that's why I'm getting some of them out of order. I'm sorry. Can this be the reason for a fast development of vaccine? Uh, short answer is yes. Um, people have been working on a viral cures for SARS uh, for since 2002, a, a vaccine, sorry, for SARS since 2002. So the technology has been, if you like, developed for SARS-CoV-2, which is uh, uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. It's the same thing. So same name for the different things. So, um, yeah, that's true. That's probably one of the reasons why things have moved a bit faster. But um, uh, particularly in the Far East, because they have vaccines in, in China and stuff as well. And they were very affected in the Far East about the, the, the SARS outbreak. Uh, is it better to, to Avzar Chowdhury, Islamicum sister? Is it better to take the vaccine for the betterment of society, even if you are weary or worried, wary or worried about taking it for yourself, or even more so for your children? Uh, so, children and pregnant women uh, are not even being offered it, are they? At the moment, am no, I right? They're not. No. No, and that's that's because actually, uh, generally in medical terms, pregnant, pregnant children and pregnant women are not are not offered treatments at this kind of stage because they are obviously going to be the most vulnerable to if there are problems. They are going to be the most vulnerable to those kind of problems. So, um, the question about betterment of society, sister. Um, I think is a really is a really difficult question to answer. To be honest with you, um, uh, I, I, I go back to the point we made before. If you were in a society where you trusted your government, where you thought that they were there to look after the affairs of people, it would life would be a lot more simple. Uh, to be honest with you, if we were in Khilafah and you were offering a technology like this, um, offering it, not forcing it, uh, I think you'd get a much better uptake. Um, than you do in a capitalist system. Um, that being said, right, I think we, we can also say this. In a capitalist system, they do want to look after their economy, right, more than they want to look after individual people's lives or people in care homes. They do want to look after their economy. And um, you might find a uh, correlation of... Uh, a co um, what a coincidence of interests here that actually they realize that the only way to cure the pandemic is to try and uh, build up the herd immunity in society and that will benefit the economy. But actually, if that is their motivation, you can argue that will benefit that will benefit the society as well. OK, uh, and and although it's 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 abhorrent that they put that kind of interest first. Um, it's, it's the reality of how it is. And, and in fact, the, the fruit may end up being the same. I say it's abhorrent, but actually there's a, there's a lot that's been messed up in the way this pandemic has been dealt with, which, which costs people's jobs and livelihoods and lives in a different way from a health perspective. Um, uh, we've answered uh, Mehdab's question about the um, clinical studies for the... oh. Have the clinical studies shown how long the mRNA vaccine provides immunity for? No, these are these are going to be the long term things people look at. Um, lost you again. 
so the new technology that BioNTech has implemented, are they the only ones offering it or are there other pharma companies using the same method? As far as we know, the Moderna vaccine is also an mRNA vaccine. Um, and the so it's a different vaccine made by different company in a different laboratory, uh, but it's also from the same technology. Um, yeah, I should say there's about... Yes. There's yeah. about 175 vaccines being developed at the moment. And there's about 56 yeah. that are in clinical trials. And quite a lot, quite a few of them yeah. are, are, are nucleic acid technology. I mean, RNA okay. or DNA technologies. So there's more coming on the way. Do you know if any of the Chinese yeah. ones are, by the way? Because there are Chinese vaccines that have been developed and being used in China and even offered to other countries like Egypt and stuff. Do, do you know if any of them are mRNA technology out of interest? Not the ones, not the most prominent ones. No, the most prominent ones are okay. tend to okay. be uh, viral vectors, you know, viruses. Yeah, yeah. So Sister Mariam is asking about her children. Uh, uh, her, her youngest children have not been vaccinated, uh, and the same trend I have seen. Oh, oh, oh. Um, Okay, it's the same same trend I've seen with a lot of my friends. The children have not been vaccinated, have a much stronger immune system. I recently visited a US website where parents logged whether or not their children have been vaccinated or not and what medical conditions. So there's this argument uh, about childhood immunization that, that many parents we see in Britain, Europe and the United States uh, wonder whether or not... Um, by avoiding childhood immunizations, whether their children pick up uh, better immunity uh, generally, okay? Um, Sister Mariam, the thing I'd say about that is, in, in uh, the developed countries of the world, like the United States, Britain, Europe, uh, the levels of these infectious diseases are really quite low, and that's because large, large numbers of the population have had the immunization. So if your children don't get the infection, it's probably because other people have been vaccinated. The other thing we have an advantage of here is that generally our um, children are quite well nourished. So they're, they're not suffering from malnutrition, which leaves them more vulnerable to uh, infectious diseases. Um, uh, to be honest with you, uh, uh, my my main worry for for those children is two things. One is periodically you get spikes of these infections that people are immunised against coming up, uh, even in Britain and Europe. Uh, and in that situation, if your children haven't been immunised, you just have to know that that they're, they're more at risk. Um, that's number one. And number two, uh, if you take them travelling to countries where these diseases that childhood immunizations are done for very commonly um, and they're not covered, then uh, they are really quite significantly at risk because, you know, the only cases of tetanus I've ever seen were in Pakistan, right? The only, the only cases of diphtheria I've ever seen, uh, well, I've seen one case of diphtheria in London, but, but the other cases I've seen is just in a three-month trip to Pakistan, tetanus, diphtheria, polio, these are not diseases we see here, but they still exist in many parts of the world. Uh, and, and they're killers or, or di severe disabilities. Um, new variant, Ghazi, Ghazi Hanif, Salaam It was said that a new variant of the virus has appeared in the UK. 
How is that different? Oh my God, we're over an hour, Salman. Are you okay for time at the moment? Yeah, I'm okay. 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 Shall we cap it at, uh, at 10 o'clock? Yeah. We'll get, yeah, get yeah, through yeah. as many as we can by 10 o'clock. Okay. Um, so actually, uh, uh, the uh, dear person who's uh, pasting questions on, can I, can I say the last question is going to be from Nazim Akram? Okay, don't paste any more questions because uh, we won't get through any of them. We may not even get to Brother Nazim's question. But uh, let's, let's um, Ghazi has said, Salam Ghazi, it was said that a new variant of the virus has appeared in the UK. How different is that? to the original variant that came from China? Should those who've already had the virus worry about the new variant? Key things about the new variant. Well, it, there's been lots of variants from the original virus that came out in China. That's the first thing. Um, okay. but, so, so the current variant, which uh, dominates globally, is probably a European variant. Um, then there's one that came from Spain, which has become quite dominant. And now we've got one which is in the UK, which is starting to spread and becoming dominant here. And this one is looking to be significantly more contagious than the previous ones that have existed. I'd say at least 50 to 70% more contagious. Uh, so it is concerning because it's spreading quickly. But it, it doesn't, okay, we don't so, know but, at the moment. But, Yeah, but but you hang on. Let's just like get that clear. It's it's about seventy percent. It it's seventy percent more catchable. Okay, that's the, that's the point. It it from one person to catching it to another, it's it catches much quicker. But the yeah. end outcomes of severe disease and uh, and death are not seen to be any different at the moment. Is that right to say? Yeah, we there's not enough information about that yet. Okay, but it's it's the point is it's spreading faster. So even if it killed at the same rate or caused severe disease at the same rate, more people get it because it's spreading faster. That's that's the the key thing about this one. Yeah, um, uh, Muhammad Al Khair, Salam Alaikum, Wa Alaikum Assalam, Wa Rahmatullah, Barakatuh. On what basis do we say there's no animal, pork products, and fetus? Have you personally seen the creation of the vaccine? Or only read the ingredients. No, I, of course it's the uh, that would be the same as me like saying to you: On what basis is there no uh, animal or pork fat in chocolate chip cookies? Do you just read the ingredients on the packet, or do you go to the factory and inspect everything that's in there? Of course, we we read the data sheets, we read the product information, um, and and what I would say is is um, we don't know. They could be lying, but. Believe you me, they'll take a significant legal and financial hit if they were lying on the ingredients, just as any food company would if they lied. Um, so I don't put it beyond them. Yeah, I don't trust these companies like immensely, but uh, logic dictates to me, or, or uh, uh, my pre understanding of previous information dictates to me that really they will not go out of their way to make a stupid mistake like that. Um, um, in terms of that, they really, from their perspective, they really don't care what's in there. It's going to get, they're going to sell their vaccines to governments all around the world, even if it contains all sorts. So I have no reason to assume that they'd be hiding that information. Um, 
but this is from the data sheets, the product information. Uh, in fact, the, 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 the Pfizer one, the Pfizer BioNTech one, the data sheet is actually very clear. There's only one source of animal uh, derived uh, protein in there. And that was, uh, hang on, I can just find that actually for you, probably. Uh, yes, is that here? Yeah, so it, it actually um, it actually has all the different categories of content. So whether it's gluten, nut, soy, egg, animal or human derived protein content. And it says um, a material used in the early manufacturing process is derived from bovine milk, means cow's milk. Okay. Other raw materials used in the manufacture are from non-animal origin. So they're not any animal products except that. And then all lipid, that means fat excipients in the vaccine, are from plant-derived sources or laboratory-made, synthetic, and have no animal pro pro uh, components. Um, uh, and uh, then it, there's a disclaimer saying the manufacturer cannot, cannot guarantee that minute amounts of substances are not contained in raw materials from their suppliers. And then it says the manufacturer states that animal or human cell lines are not used in the manufacturing process of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So that, that's how it's read here in, the, um, in their information sheet. Uh, that's about as clear as I can get on that. Uh, Muhammad Khalifa, Salaamu Alaikum, great name. Uh, a Muslim doesn't get hit, hit bitten by the same hole twice. Uh, can we look at the vaccine the same way? I.e., the rulers in the West have lied to us before. Why should we trust them now as this is a health issue resulting to life or death? Well, it's a good question. It's a really good question. And you know what? When you see the mess by which the governments in Britain, America, Europe have handled this situation and the shoddy way they've handled it and the misinformation and the real like nonchalance with how they deal with their publics, uh, it's a good question. And I don't say that you necessarily need to trust them, actually. I don't trust them myself. Um, so I'm looking more at the information that's out there for me to verify when I don't understand it, I go and ask other people to explain it. Same with Salman, he's got a science background, cell biology background. He'll look at the papers and information himself and we do our best to understand the best we can, which is the best way anyone can do anything really. Just like I say, whether you're driving a car, flying in a plane, buying a packet of biscuits really, but you're, you're right to be cautious, absolutely. Just one Rahim, I mean. Yeah, why? Just one point on that. It, yes, it, we're right yes. to be to be to not to trust the governments, but you have to we have to also bear in mind that you know the, the community of scientists that that produce this technology and the uh, people who you know work in in the biomedical field. These are not people who are you know in the government. They're ordinary people from from within the society, and they scrutinise this stuff as well. And so if the government was hiding stuff or if the government was, 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 was somehow trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, pull the wool over the eyes of the, of the public, you know, people would come out and speak up against it, you know, because, you know, their kids are going to be getting the vaccine, their parents are going to be getting the vaccine as well. So it's, 
it's it's you know not everybody in the whole community is untrustworthy yeah that's true Salman but at the same time you know uh, there have been cases in the past of many of many uh, corporate scandals where um, they've had bad um, effects from could be kind of things like uh, Teflon in, in, in frying pans or, or obviously the thalidomide scandal and these kind of things. And, and actually, that somehow they go on for years before there's a whistleblower or before the data emerges. So it's not, it's not uh, I, I mean, I, I know you agree with me on this. It's not, these concerns and anxieties don't come out of nowhere. Many of the people who are posting on here for us, are posting on here for us are people who maybe don't have uh, the access to the literature that you and I have or to the people that you and I can ask, or maybe an understanding of the, the, the scientific community that is peer-reviewing all this information as it's coming out. Um, so, uh, brothers and sisters, you may remember right at the beginning of the COVID crisis, there was a lot of questions about whether the scientists on the government's official SAGE advisory board were really giving the best information and why? Because there was another group of society, scientists in society that was questioning whether or not uh, the, 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 the information was being tested and interpreted rigorously enough, so much that they set up their own alternative sage. So uh, Salman and I are going to get aware of some of these things because of the circles we sit in from our day jobs that you may not do. So your questions are all valid, valid by the way, I think. But... Um, um, uh, Rahim, the use, Rahim, Assalamu alaikum, Rahim, I mean, the use of metals in the vaccine, the survival rate of COVID versus flu that warrants taking the vaccine. Uh, COVID to flu is not an easy thing to compare. When you look at the spikes of flu uh, during a flu pandemic, it tends to be um, over many months the deaths may happen. Uh, they may be numbers, maybe bigger even, but they're spread out over a longer period of time. Whereas when you look at the graphs of COVID, the spike that you saw, say, for example, in the UK from March to May is is literally the health services here can't cope with something like that. So you're facing a scenario where the, the system, it will collapse if uh, you, you allow that to happen. So we're not really comparing like with like in that. Um, how many people a day are dying in the UK at the moment? Salman, 500, 700? Yeah, between five and 700. Five, five to 700 people a day. In the US, the current rate death rate is about 3,000 people a day. So if you're in the government in the UK and you're facing basically a 9-11 every day uh, uh, in terms of numbers of dead uh, on a daily basis from this vaccine, you, from this virus, you've got you've got to think of some solutions. You're a government; you've got to do that. Um, um, uh, the use of metals in the vaccine. Uh, okay, so the only thing I could find on that is there is a there is a mercury-containing compound that is sometimes used in vaccines called thiomersal. Uh, but in the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, it's preservative-free, therefore it doesn't contain that. So that's the only thing I can find in that, on that regard. I don't know if you know anything more than that. 
No, there's, there's none of these uh, heavy metals in, in, in the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Sorry, Brian, I'm really sorry if it seems like I'm like, like uh, pushing this forward and not giving you a space to answer, but um, uh, my apologies. That's okay. Is that what it feels like from your side? <laughs> no, it's just not, not at all. It's a long day, huh? Okay. Yeah. Um, why is there only one vaccine on license? Uh, the, because the others are in, in line for, they're being um, scrutinized for approval. And I'll be honest, the, the Oxford one seems to be going for quite a while, doesn't it, Sonoma? It's been quite a while that yeah. they've said it's yeah. ready for approval, being approved. It's, yeah, I think that will probably come, bit, come, come through next week. Yeah. Shahin Ibn Bari, have you brothers... Dr. Abdul Wahid and Salman Rahman taken the COVID vaccine. Salman, have you taken the COVID vaccine? I'm, I'm not eligible till next July. Okay, so I am eligible by being virtue of an NHS worker, and I did take it. So I've had my first shot, uh, and I'm still here. And I had a kind of achy arm for about 48 hours afterwards, um, and uh, otherwise, alhamdulillah, I felt okay. Um, but uh, my mother's Abu, taken it. Yeah. Oh, has she? Okay. Yeah. Mashallah. Is she a, okay? She's had absolutely no problems at all. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, where I work, I think we've had like over a hundred people have it, and I've only come across one person that had like a few days of feeling very fluey and unwell. Um, but uh, they, I mean, they didn't need any treatment or anything for that. But. Uh, uh, it's early days at the moment. We, we keep saying we, 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 the short-term side effects do not appear to be very significantly different to other vaccines. So it's the long-term ones we're just not sure of. Um, will the vaccine solve the pandemic problem or brush it under the carpet? The disease comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, brother. And uh, I think uh, it's confounded many a person. So it would be a brave person to say, that the vaccine will solve the pandemic problem. Um, but from a science perspective, the, the way you'd expect to solve it would be um, several measures. And actually, one thing we've omitted in this is what the Islamic approach to pandemics generally is from the various hadith of the Messenger wasallam. So the first is, an area that contains the virus needs to be quarantined. So in the original situation, the Wuhan province in China should really have been locked down immediately. No one going in and no one coming out. Okay, that's the first thing. When I say lockdown, it doesn't mean lockdown like Britain has a lockdown where everyone's forced to stay at home. It means the area is cut off from everyone else. No travel in, no travel out. So the virus is confined to that area and not the rest of the country. Similarly, when the first cases were arriving in London, yeah, actually, by rights, London should have been locked down, or whichever city was first to be affected. And you should not have allowed people traveling all across the country to spread it everywhere. The second thing is the, the healthy people and the diseased people with the disease need to be separated. So when someone tests positive, those people need to be isolated and kept away from the other people who are, who are healthy. That's from a Sharia requirement. And the third thing you could argue 
because this disease is asymptomatic in many people, that there should be a higher level of testing to see who might be carrying it than we've seen uh, currently in, in this country, certainly. So um, th- these are these are the ways you deal with the pandemic. And actually, the vaccine could add to that, could improve things beyond that. Um, not not really just on its own, but Allah knows best uh, uh, where this is going in the future. Uh, okay, Salman, interesting question here. Basharat Ahmed, may can you elaborate on people improving their lifestyle, e.g., eating habits, exercising, as a way to ward off the effects of this infection? Generally it's a good speaking, question, isn't it? It is a good question. Um, generally speaking, uh, there's been a lot of research to suggest that healthy eating um, and good exercise can help to build your immune system and keep your immune system uh, strong. And that will certainly give you protection against any disease. Uh, and, and COVID-19 is no different from that. If you have a good, strong immune system, you are going to have a better chance of uh, fighting off the disease and having any a, a, a mild form. So one of the reasons why it seems that elderly people, one of the theories why we think that elderly people uh, are more prone to getting a severe disease is because their immunity weakens as they grow older. And this is quite a well-known fact in 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 study of, of physiology and study of immunity. Um, your immune system, as you grow older, and, and you could say roughly by about 5% every year as you grow older, after the age of 20, your immune system decreases in its robustness by about 5% a year after the age of 20. So the older you are, that's why you tend to be more prone to getting severe COVID. Yeah. So and yes, actually, uh, there's a question I missed. I'm... Yeah. yeah. So if you're healthy and you have... If you're healthy... You, and you have a, and you have a good diet and you exercise well, all of these things help to build a good immune system, strong immune system. Yeah. It really is important to understand that. So a lot of people die in poorer countries, not not just because diseases are more widespread, but because if you get them, your body succumbs more easily. So TB is very common in some parts of the UK, but actually a lot of people don't get very sick or die of TB in the UK because generally... They're not undernourished and vulnerable, um, whereas in, in, in other parts of the world, people will die of TB and succumb to it because they, they can be undernourished and, 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 and generally unwell. One of the things COVID has shown us is if you're obese or if you have diabetes, um, then you are more likely to be more sick uh, than, than if you're not. So that's, that's an important thing to understand in this context. And there's some questions about the uh, the role of vitamin D deficiency in terms of uh, whether or not that that actually has a role in people getting more sick. I, I, one thing I overlooked, and this was, um, I just scrolled back and found it, Shahid Deen, Salaamu Alaikum Shahid, he's put here, vitamin C is very effective uh, when people are unwell with viruses and have no side effects. Uh, this This kind of lends itself to another question, which often maybe we can be a bit sceptical about Big Pharma and stuff, which is right to be, because there may be so many products out there, whether they are a variety of vitamins or other medicines that um, 
there's not really a financial incentive to research how much they can help, but they can make, they may do. And, and this is one of the problems with the way that big pharma controls the, the way things are researched. So, um, actually one of the only proven, uh, beneficial therapies in severe COVID is a steroid called dexamethasone, which has been kicking around for years, which no longer has a patent linked to one company. Um, but you know that 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 kind of thing uh, that came out of medical research in 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 hospitals but but actually you won't find big money funding research into well established products that are out there to see whether or not high dose vitamin c you know can prevent things because there's no financial incentive for that to be honest um uh even if it even, even if it might um uh so we're going to get the last few questions. Uh, uh, what do you mean by only the vulnerable to take the vaccine? Sorry, Brother Rajab Hassan, I, I didn't say only the vulnerable. I said that when it comes to the vulnerable, I said that it's very clear for me that the benefit outweighs the risk. Okay, When, when, it, when you move into the less vulnerable people, the risk benefit equation is not is not going to be so much in that it's going to be much more nuanced probably there's still a benefit for younger people to have it for themselves because some young people can still get covid quite badly but but probably there is still a benefit for them and as we know at the moment from the short term the risk doesn't seem huge but um it's much more in the younger population going to be about developing that herd immunity is it embedded into your spine says Sister Khalwa, Khawla, no, Sister Khawla, it's injected into your shoulder. Um, can you tell us how long the vaccine is good for, Ajmal Khairi? I've, I've said already, Salman, I've said um, we don't know. Um, and uh, do you know any different to me? No. No, no, we don't know. Because it could be, a, it could be for life, it could be for a year, two years, nobody really knows. Um Jilla Rahman, Asalaamu Alaikum. What are the side effects? Okay, so what are the side effects? The, the most serious side effect that we appear to know of is a severe allergic reaction called anaphylaxis that can happen in people that appear to be already prone to anaphylaxis. So that's the most severe one. Not common, but it happens. In fact, in the original trials of 30,000 people, I don't think it was reported particularly. It's only since it's started being injected into the wider risk groups that it's it's being picked up more and more. Um, the other side effects, Salman, what have you heard um, of? Swollen lymph glands. You can get swollen lymph glands, so that would generally resolve within about 10 days. Um, there are things like uh, developing fatigue, um, basically... Uh, headache? Flu yeah, headache flu-like symptoms headache painful painful arm painful yeah. arm seems to be a common one yeah what the kinds of things you get when when you hear people who've had vaccines done for travel vaccines or for flu vaccine you'll hear different reports from different people it's that kind of spectrum of things that people are getting uh brother siraj arif siraj assalamualaikum alaikum assalam i had the virus in order hospitalized for two weeks allahu akbar uh, would I get it again? And should I take the vaccine when it comes, uh, when my turn comes? So, 
the answer I would say, I don't know your health profile, Brother Arif, but number one, it is possible to get the virus more than once. Okay, that seems to be the case. There are case reports where people have got it more than once. Um, from what I, what I know at the moment, I would say if you've had it once, my question would be why you had it so badly. And in that case, if it was offered to me, I'd seriously think about taking it, to be honest with you. Uh, but I don't know your health profile. I don't know what your age is or other health risks are. Um, why are Am, Am, Amar Amin, why are all the scholars putting out all the stops, pushing the vaccine, remain silent on greater maxi matters? Uh, I thought the issue of COVID issue had been exaggerated. Uh, yeah, brother, I don't know. I mean, the, the silence on other matters, completely legitimate. Uh, they probably would argue... This is an issue under their nose here. Um, others may argue that this is a soft target for them to talk about. Um, but uh, it, it's a legitimate issue for them to address. I don't say it's not legitimate. Whether they're not addressing other matters is definitely a legitimate question for you to ask them and for me to ask them. Uh, another question from Shahimia, again about vulnerable people. Can the virus carry from a healthy person to vulnerable ones? So shouldn't all the so the healthy ones take the vaccine? So in this one, brother Shahi, it's the same point. Just to reiterate the point, so people maybe understand it, um, there is one aspect of the virus, the vaccine protecting me or you, whoever takes it. It doesn't. We don't know if it stops the transmission from one person to another, but if enough people in the society take it. The level of the virus. The, the virus, if you need, like, needs our bodies to uh, to thrive off. Okay, so if more of us are immune, it doesn't have the opportunity to thrive so much. So, in that regard, this is the point you're making, Brother Shahimia. So, this will be the argument of why the less vulnerable people would want to take the vaccine to to reduce the. Uh, the spread of the virus in society in that way. Nazim Akram, I'm going to put this last question to you, Salman. Do you know whether the vaccine will be available to third world countries and will they be offered at cost price? What have you heard about that? Um, that's a very good question. Um, I, I presume you're talking about the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, the one that's currently being used in the UK. Um, yeah, from what I understand, from Let's what start I with that one. I think from what I understand about that vaccine is that it's being bought up by all the rich countries. So I know that the European Union has bought, you know, hundreds of millions of doses. The United States has bought hundreds of millions of doses. The UK has bought 40 million doses. So I, I think it's being sold across the world, but I'm not sure uh, whether the uh, poorer countries are going to be able to get access to it and whether they can afford it. it. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, that has been developed at the moment at cost price. So AstraZeneca is claiming that during the, the course of the pandemic, they will not make any profit at all on the vaccine. And so that vaccine yeah. will be very cheap and will be available for, for poorer countries to buy. Um, yeah. So, so this is this is this is the this is what I've read as well. The AstraZeneca vaccine, 
will be sold um, at cost price even to <coughs> poorer countries. Um, For as long as the pandemic lasts. Yeah. Moderna um, uh, has made no such promise. Um, I can't see anything about Pfizer here. Um, I, I think also uh, that one of the things about this question which is valuable is that actually um, were we thinking in terms of a Khilafa in the future and had we developed a vaccine, it would have been a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to to show how Islam uh, uses all the means at its disposal to carry this message of Islam to humanity and to show that an issue like this is one where nations should be working together and not competing with each other, uh, not not hiding information but sharing information because this is truly a disease that crosses boundaries and, and there's been no global leadership in that regards in this issue and we hope, inshallah, we would see a day when Khilafah would offer this global leadership and also offer this re- any resource that it has, like a vaccine, to others in a beneficial way. Um, and you can see in the geopolitics of this how these different countries do compete with each other to, to offer, you know, China is offering their vaccine to, to other countries in, in a way that kind of, you know, tries to show up the... Uh, the, the countries, the, the, the you know the, the Western countries, and and so on and so forth. And there is a lot of politics in the way this is run, this is done. Salman, my brother, Jazakallah khair. Any last words you want to share with uh, with uh, us today? Just to um, uh, I pray that all the brothers and sisters who are watching this, that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala keeps you and your families safe. And, um, you know, and, uh, you know, keep us in your du'as, inshallah. Inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair, Salman. Jazakallah khair to you, brothers and sisters. Uh, and I hope it was of some use. I hope it was of some use for clarifying things. Uh, please bear in mind, we are in a difficult world. It's hard to trust politicians. It's hard to trust big pharmaceutical companies. It's right to be sceptical. And on the other side, you have people out there who are really spreading a lot of information, which is not very helpful or even misleading. Um, And it's right to be critical of what comes into your inbox, what comes into your WhatsApp messages, and not just simply to pass it along as if it's factual, because it's not very often factual. And it's worth uh, verifying and scrutinizing things that come from all sorts of sources, and inshallah ta'ala, we pray that we see a day where we have a righteously guided khilafah, which, which we hope that the, the, the money, the hideous relationship of money and politics and corporate money and politics is, is detached from each other so that uh, actually people realize that the politicians really should be looking after health matters for the interests and the affairs of people according to the sharia of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the sunnah of his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sallallahu ala sayyidina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa akhiru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh
Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.